Well, thank you very much, Jamie and friends. My goodness, can they all be like that one? That was unbelievable. Here's the situation. We've got you covered until 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll get to some hockey in the second hour. But let's be honest, we all want to continue the post game here on Tim and Friends. So Joe Siddle will be by, Jeff Blair will be by, and after that, we've got money's worth today. Coast to coast in Canada on Sportsnet. It was on ESPN Coast to Coast, and they got their money's worth because this game had it all. If you missed the highlights, here's what it looked like after a postseason appearance in 2020. The Blue Jays committed $186 million on free agents in the offseason, most in the big leagues. Their biggest signing, George Springer, on the IL to begin this season. So it was Ryu versus Cole, great matchup. And they got to Cole in the second, did the Jays. Teoscar Hernandez, that is the first hit of the 2021 season for the Jays. Next batter, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. watched this off the bat. 114 miles per hour, look the bleep out. Hardest base hit ever off of Garrett Cole. Next up, Lourdes Gruyel Jr. He would single up the middle. Now it was one nothing Jays, but that's all they got despite three hits to start the inning. And you started to think this could come back to bite them in the rear end, especially against Cole. Hyunjin Ryu, second consecutive opening day start. And it was the bottom of the second when Gary Sanchez lights him up. This a bomb. Two-run shot. And the Yankees were on top 2-1. This is where I thought it could come back to hurt them. But the Jays, who played with fire all day long, bottom of the fifth, two on DJ LeMahieu, Marcus Simeon, great play. Then Teoscar Hernandez, kids. Hernandez given the cleanup spot in the order for the outset of the season. And he got a pitch over the heart of the plate, and he crushed it. Teoscar Hernandez with a monster home run to tie the game at two. The silver slugger over Judge ties it at two. That's it for Garrett Cole, and he's a wee bit perturbed. Here is the perturbed Garrett Cole. After two runs over five and a third, Ryu also two runs over five and a third. Bottom of the seventh, Jay's in trouble again. One out, David Phelps walks LeMahieu. That loads the bases for Big Aaron Judge. Charlie Montoyo has David Phelps on the hill. Can he get someone else? Sticks with his guy. Gary Sanchez at third. Clint Frazier at second. DJ LeMahieu at first with one down. Phelps needs a ground ball right at somebody. The 2-1, a swing and a ground ball to third. Biggio to second one, on to first for the double play. Somehow, Phelps and the Blue Jays get out of it as they go around the horn. Is that Dan Schulman or David Blaine? Seeing into the future, remains 2-2 through 7. Bottom nine, Mike Talkman, who was pinch running, stole third without a throw. So he stood there with one out. LeMahieu, the batting champ, grounds the third. Kevin Biggio goes home. They get him, and the game is extended. Next batter, Judge, facing Jordan Romano. Let's go to extras. Second straight season, we have a runner placed at second to start extra innings. First batter for the Jays is Randall Grichuk. He goes the other way. Judge can't find it. 
Jonathan Davis, who was on second, scores to make it 3-2. That's all they got. Bottom 10th, that's all they needed. Why? Julian Merriweather. 99-mile-an-hour fastball to get Glaber Torres. He struck out the side on just 11 pitches. From Sportsnet Stats, kids, first pitcher to strike out the side for the Jays and earn a save on opening day. Charlie Montoyo gets his 100th win as the Jays manager in an exciting 3-2 ball game in the Bronx. And think about this. They got it against Cole, who was a combined 9-3 last year, only three no decisions. He took a no decision in this one as the Yankees got the leadoff runner on in the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and of course inherited the runner in the 10th, did not score in any of those innings. Off day tomorrow, next game, 1 p.m. Eastern in the Bronx on Saturday. Randall Grichuk, of course, the game-winning RBI caught up with their own Hazel May afterwards. Congratulations once again. A terrific ball game in general. What did you think of the way your teammates played D tonight? Uh, you know, it, it was encouraging. You know, obviously that was the uh, emphasis we put on the offseason by, you know, getting obviously Springer's not in there today, but getting Simeon and, you know, obviously all those infielders have the ability to make unbelievable plays. And, uh, you know, we had it had it uh, on full display on defense today. You've got some pretty uh, young and powerful arms in the bullpen, a terrific uh, pitching performance by Julie Merriweather. But what was going through your mind watching that bottom of the ninth inning and Jordan Romano on the mound? Uh, you know, I was excited, um, you know, for him to be, a, you know, a young guy in the league, closing a ball game at Yankee Stadium opening day um, or, or coming in there for the bottom of the ninth and, and shut him down. Obviously, it wasn't the exact way we'd wanted it to be. But, you know, he uh, he had to battle out there with with guy getting on and then stealing second and stealing third, uh, you know, but he made pitches and got out of it and just kind of shows what kind of guy he is out there. He's a bulldog and uh, we're definitely lucky to have him. Randall, an opening day victory for the Blue Jays at Yankee Stadium. You faced a guy named Garrett Cole. What will this do for the confidence of this ball club going into game two on Saturday? You know, I think going into the year, uh, you know, we think as a clubhouse, you know, we can compete with these guys for the division. You know, I think it's kind of said that they're going to win it and they're the better team and uh you know no one in that clubhouse is believing it and you know hopefully today kind of went out and showed that uh you know we're, we mean business this year and uh you know we we have you know heck of a talent you know one through nine and, and even even the guys that aren't in there uh, any given day so uh you know that was a little preview today and hopefully we can keep it up for a uh, full 162. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you, Jeff Blair, for sprinting down the stairs from it radio. It wasn't really a sprint, trust me. <laughs> more of a jog? Dude, I'm 61. I don't sprint. I don't sprint anymore. It was more a jog. Of, more of a jog from Jeff Blair. Either yog. way, I appreciate it. And what an opening game between the Jays and the I mean, it had it all. Yeah, and you know, we just finished doing uh, Blue Jays talk with Kevin Barker, and we were talking about how the Jays won this game. And all the stuff we talked about in spring training was that, you know, the defense was going to be a little suspect because everybody's learning a new position or has moved around in the infield. The defense was, was flawless today or close to flawless. Very good, yeah. We talked about the bullpen, right? And, you know, Jordan Romano, it was a mess. 
you know, didn't check the runner over second base, didn't check him over at first base. But you know what happened? His stuff got him out of the jam. And the same thing with Rafael Dolis. His stuff got him out of the jam. And then Julian Merriweather came in, and the stuff was too much for the Yankees to handle. So for me, those are, 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 that's one reason that I wasn't necessarily concerned when Kirby Yates went down, because I think this bullpen is deeper. I think this, this bullpen's like the Rays. A lot of arm angles, a lot of filthy stuff, a lot of attitude. We just don't know it yet. So, man, on balance, yeah, it's one game, but you beat Garrett Cole, and your bullpen, you know, your bullpen shut the door. It's funny because I, I scratched down a few questions. Uh, while we were watching the end of the game here in studio and while we were watching Blue Jay Central take with, with Jamie Campbell, John Axford, Joe Siddle. And I wrote, more impressed with the defense of the bullpen because there were a lot of question marks surrounding both. You defense. I, I, yeah. To me, that's the story, of the, the story of the game. That play you just showed at third base, uh, or the contact play. Think about what the Yankees are thinking. They got Aaron Judge on deck. Right. Why are you playing contact? Because you got a guy at third base that isn't playing a position before. And for Kevin Biggio to have that type of game, for Vladdy to make a couple of plays the way he played, I mean, that's, that was the concern when you talk to Blue Jays people I think coming out of spring training. All these kids are good athletes, and, and they're all, they work hard, all the good stuff, all, all the stuff you like about it. But the fact of the matter is the dude at second base is a shortstop. The dude at shortstop went to Luis Rivera, his infield coach, late in the regular season last year and said, help, like, I need to get better at, at shortstop. Mm-hmm. The kid at third base is a second baseman, and, you know, the guy at first base is, you know, is he a first baseman, is he a third baseman, is he a DH? And the Yankee Stadium on opening day, you know, when all this yeah. stuff is supposed Garrett to be special. Cole Garrett crowd, however small it was, yeah. You know, it's funny, I, I thought you answered the question the first time around with talking about that bullpen. And as you go through, I mean, it was Chatwood, it Mm -hmm. was Phelps, it was Dolis, it was Romano, it was Merriweather. Like, let's not forget that I mentioned about how they put the leadoff runner aboard. Now, that's not the most ideal thing to do, leadoff runner aboard in 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. But you're doing it, getting out of those jams against what most people think is the best lineup in baseball. You got to... You're going to beat the Yankees. You're going to find yourself in positions like that. And what you have to do is you have to strike guys out. You know, the whole adage that, well, an out is an out and just get the ball and play. Yeah, that sometimes works. But you know what's really good when there's a man in base? It's a strikeout. So nothing happens. That's the best play in baseball is a strikeout. unless obviously a double play. But that's the best play in baseball. And this is a bullpen with, with strikeout stuff. Uh, I said at the start of this show that I would get by with a little help from my friends. Not only does Jeff Blair sprint down. I didn't from, sprint. He ran down. It wasn't even a run. It he was... yogged down from the radio studios to join me. But Joe Siddle takes a drink of water from Blue Jay Central and now joins us from the Samsung yeah, studio. So I truly appreciate both of you doing what you've done. And Joe... they said you had no friends. <laughs> when you started this, well, they said you had no yeah, friends. Well, little did they know. Kenny little Reed call, know. calls it. Tim and contractually obligated <laughs> colleagues. Either way, I'll take it. Uh, Joe, this was, as Jeff and I were talking about, an unbelievable performance from some of the spots where people had the most question marks about this team. 
Well, I didn't have a question mark with the starting pitcher. He was quite good. Yeah. I had a question mark with the defense, and we know the Blue Jays set out to improve their defense this winter. It was an excellent defensive game. I thought they were very good in the field. The bullpen, some of those arms we just saw, we, we talked about probably three guys that are probably going to close games this year, and we saw them at the back end today in Dolis, in Romano, and then, of course, Julian Merriweather, I just hand him the closer job right now after what he did in the opener. <laughs> and some really good at-bats. I thought they battled Garrett Cole very well. He got in such a groove. Once he got that 2-1 lead, I turned to Axford and I said, this game might be over. Like, you don't give Garrett Cole a 2-1 lead. No. He looked like he was dotting pitches all over the place. But I love Vladdy's approach right there. He's going up looking for the fastball. That's what you want to hit off Cole. And he got it first pitch and drilled it right back up the middle. But Vladdy just looked so good because he was laying off those pitches. We've seen that in the past. But I think he's gotten himself into such a good position in terms of that launch position hitters talk about. Because when you get yourself in a good position, you're going to see the ball a little bit longer. And I think when he was rushing out there in the past couple of years and jumping out with his body and being a little, lot more movement, that's when hitters get in trouble and you rush. And when you rush, you panic and you make poor decisions. The opposite is true. When you're not rushing, he's staying back really well, getting a good coil back there. And when you're seeing the ball better and seeing the ball longer, you make better decisions, and he's able to lay off some of the pitches we saw today. Very encouraging. I know he had a great spring training. I didn't see any of it really with my own eyes, but when I see a game like that today from Vladdy against Garrett Cole, that was very impressive, and I certainly hope that's a good sign of things to come for him in this year. Jeff, uh, as he talks about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the day that he had at the plate, I can't help but think, have we found something again in Teoscar Hernandez? Like, I'm not getting to Jose Batista-type territory, but holy bleep. Yeah. Silver slugger last year, and then a big home run against Garrett. You know, our friend Chris Black, who produces uh, Blue Jays uh, telecasts and, and, and Blue Jay Central, had an, wrote an excellent article describing the change in Teoscar Hernandez's approach last year. Mm -hmm. And I would urge people to read that article because this game was the manifestation of that. The thing that I know Kevin Barker pointed out about this, this, this swing as well is there was no leg lift. It was just a little, it's like he, he turned his knee in and swung and made contact with, a, you know, with, with, with a, a hard pitch against one of the best pitchers in the game. All spring we've heard about two-strike approach, two-strike approach, two-strike approach, changing your approaches, da-da-da. We saw today, I thought, and maybe, Joe, you can speak to this too, I, I, I thought today we saw some guys making deliberate or showing us deliberate changes in approach. Even if that, and you can, you can take the two strike approach and you don't always have to wait till two strikes to use it, right? You can use it when you, when you feel that it suits you. But I saw things today that I hadn't seen from this, from some of these hitters for a long time. Joe, did you see the same thing? Yeah, well, and I think, too, Jeff, that's the point you just made. The, the one thing you said at the end there is it doesn't have to be a two-strike approach because if you go to a two-strike approach, that's a good approach to avoid mm -hmm. strikeouts and put the balls in play, and it's successful for you. And I, I remember in my playing days, I tried a lot of things, and my teammates that I played with tried a lot of things with two strikes, and they got hitting really well. I got them out of slumps. And then you say to yourself, why don't I do that all the time? Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing in Teoscar, what you're referring to. He has simplified things. He, he's dropped the leg kick. He, he's very quiet. And a lot of those things I said a few minutes ago about Vladdy hold true for Teoscar. So he's putting himself in a good position to see the ball longer. And again, you allow yourself to make better decisions. Now, was he looking for a first pitch slider from Cole? Maybe. Good hitters will go up looking for pitches. 
And you don't see too many hanging sliders from Garrett Cole like that. We didn't see many today. He was painting the edges just off the edges. The fastball was 97 to 99 on the edges. They just weren't getting a lot to hit in those middle innings there. Teoscar may have looked for that slider, but regardless, it was a cookie right out over the plate. But he allowed himself to get into a good position to see it very well. And he made a good decision, put a good swing on it. And then 400 and something feet later, uh, we're tied at two. Hey, listen, I'm going to ask the viewers to stick around through the break. Can I ask the contractually obligated colleagues to stick around through the break, too? Sure, if you want. Joey? Yeah. I mean, I know you need friends. Um, <laughs> You know. I get by with a little help from my friends. Look, uh, I'm just happy to be around people. This is the most people <laughs> that, right. that I've been around in like a year. That's true. It was a trip for me when I first got down here. All right, we'll take the break. What a season opener. Jays win 3-2 in 10 innings. Julian Merriweather nails it down. For more post-game coverage coming up, Jeff Blair, Joe Siddle sticking around, and I appreciate it. Can you stick around too? Appreciate that too. Concerned with the speed of Davis and with good reason as Grichik slashes the ball to right field. Judge back and it's over his head. And now it bounces back by him towards the infield. Davis is in to score. Grichik is at second with an RBI double and the Blue Jays have taken the lead. A lead they would hang on to. 3-2 the final in 10 in the Bronx on opening day. Uh, Tim McAuliffe getting by with his friends Jeff Blair and Joe Siddle. Um, the man who helped that 3-2 stand up, because it always doesn't, especially with the new extra inning format of putting a runner on second, was Julian Merriweather. Uh, let's talk about that wow. performance, Jeff, because 11 pitches, strikes out the side. I mean, you couldn't have been much more impressive. He almost had the immaculate inning. Yeah, look, again, this is a thing because we weren't down in spring training. You kind of hear about the guy. And, I, you know, I, I just assumed Julian, I assumed Julian Merriweather was going to be on the roster and he'd, we'd probably see him at some point in the series. Uh, look, the stuff is there. Uh, I mean, boy, is it ever there. It's just, it's just a matter of him being healthy. And, and, you know, I was thinking, I don't know if you'd call this irony, but Julian Merriweather has that game today when Josh Donaldson gets hurt gets hurt in the opener and you never obviously you never wish anything in anybody but um you know my my point being that uh as as i said earlier there's there's just pure stuff in this bullpen and that's what i like about it there's pure stuff and i do think you need that i think the race showed that last year that if you've got that, then you can get by without having the big-name closer, right? Yeah. Or n- maybe not having the big-name rotation. If you can keep it close, get to the end of the game, and here comes 99, 99, 99, and then you got Dolis coming in, and he's kind of annoying you because he's slow, and then he throws the, uh, the splitter, and then you've got Romano coming in and doing the stuff. We didn't even see Ryan Barucki yet. Yeah. And Ryan Barucki's stuff is filthy. Uh, I, that's, you know, if you're, if you're a team that has some issues with the starting rotation – if you got that bullpen, you're going to, more often than not, you're going to win those games. Joe, I know you were sitting beside John Axford, and after the uh. game during Blue Jays Central, he said he was sweating, and yet kid after kid rolls out onto the mound at Yankee Stadium on opening day and seemed and put the opening at the leadoff runner aboard in each one of those innings and got out of it. Like it just, if you were to draw up a script for Charlie Montoyo, 
and this Jays management of how it would go for these guys, do you not think this would have been it? I mean, maybe I, you don't you don't put them in a tough spot where they put a leadoff runner aboard. Yeah, but let him steal second and third. Maybe that wasn't in the cards. <laughs> but but to recover from that each time is near unbelievable. Axford also said he did do that. He got himself into all kinds of trouble. Then he had to get himself out of it. So a lot of closers do that. But I think what we saw in Merriweather, you know, we heard Charlie Montoya talk earlier today about this series, and he's kind of talked about T.J. Zoic pitching game three of this series. And I said to Jamie today, I said, I got a feeling we might see Merriweather as an opener on Sunday. Now, of course, we didn't know this would happen today, so that maybe might rule him out of that sort of thing. But Never mind the opener thing. I want this guy closing games now after what we saw today. And, you know, the changeup to Hicks was unbelievable. But then you've got the way he blew away the other guys with the fastballs. And I think especially Torres, the last hitter, was telling Axford, I hope once he got ahead, I wanted him to just stay hard with the fastball because Torres was late. But, I mean, oftentimes you'll go to the off-speed pitch and try to trick him and you'll try to really throw that nasty slider or your best breaking ball and you end up hanging something soft. And that's when damage is done to a lot of good hitters. So stay hard. He did that. He just blew him away. And that's what you mean about blowing guys away, dominant stuff, pure stuff in that back end of that bullpen. It's high velocity with nasty secondary stuff. And each one of those guys that pitched those last few innings has both of those elements. And Joe, as a former catcher, don't you like the fact that Julian Merriweather was completely unimpressed with where he was and who he was facing? Like, honest <laughs> to God, I wanted to stick a mirror under his nose to make sure he's breathing. Because the guy just... And, and, and I believe that. You need, you need that when a guy's pitching late in the game. You need a guy who just does not look overly concerned with the fact that he's about to face, you know, the middle of the lineup that, on a team that everybody thinks is going to win the World Series or at least go to the World Series. If you were to present a scenario of a young kid coming up to the major leagues, and he's not a young kid, but anybody coming to the major leagues relatively inexperienced and pitching in a big situation, you'd probably say against the Yankees in the Bronx. And that's exactly what it was. Now, there may not have been 50,000 people there, but that environment and that lineup is still very intimidating. And, yeah, he didn't show any of that. And as a closer or anybody, Romano, same thing, back end of a bullpen, the way they're pitching today, a lot of it does become between the ears, right? It's who can handle that. And that's why I still firmly believe you can't just throw any good relief pitcher into a closer's role. Those last three outs of the ball game are very different, especially with a runner on second base. But, yeah, Merriweather didn't look like anything was phasing him today. And you know what I was thinking of today watching that? Remember how Roberto Osuna came out at Yankee Stadium early in the year, struck out Alex Rodriguez, kind of strutted off the mound. And I remember thinking at that point, all right, if you can do that in that setting, there's something going on here. No, I'm I'm not going to say that Julian Merriweather is going to go on and and, go to the All-Star game as a closer, but I am saying that we have seen seen it before where a guy who is – People are impressed with. He's got good stuff, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. But that guy goes out, has a big game at Yankee Stadium, and builds on it. We've, we've, we've seen it in recent years with this team. All right, let's look forward a little bit because it's still a vaunted Yankees lineup. And God forbid if Gary Sanchez starts hitting or getting on base, it becomes even more dangerous because he hasn't hit over 200 in each of the last two years. He hit a, a pretty big bomb today. Um, it's stripling Saturday. It looks like TJ Zoik on Sunday. Um, can you, Joe, in the major leagues, I firmly believe that momentum is your next day starter or your day after starter in this case, but can you build with a young team some momentum from a game like today? Well, you do because emotionally to win a game like this opening day at Yankee Stadium, and they beat Garrett Cole, basically, yeah. and that's not expected. You can almost chalk up a loss when you're facing Garrett Cole 
opening day. And I know you've got Ryu on your side, but yeah, this has to be a huge emotional lift. But you know, it's come Saturday, it's going to be up to the next two starting pitchers. And hey, Corey Kluber's coming back from injury, and who knows if he can ever regain his form. But we know how dominant he could be. He could throw a gem as well. I think obviously we've talked a lot about this Blue Jays starting rotation, especially now with the injuries and Pearson's out and Ray's out. Things have changed a lot. So now you're counting on Ross Stripling in Yankee Stadium in game two of the season and maybe game three, TJ Zuick, or probably I think it's going to be a bullpen day of some sort. So it's not overly encouraging. But when you look around, sometimes we get so caught up in the team that you're covering. If you look at the Yankees, yeah, you've got Kluber coming off injury. They've got Jamison Tyon who's coming off injury. So they're not vaunted either in their rotation. Not the same Yankees as in the past. And their bullpen, as we saw, especially with Chapman suspended for the first couple of games here, Chad Green's good. Sure, you've got some pieces down there. Orday has been very good, but they've got a couple injuries too. So I think they can match up with anybody. Do I think their rotation is stellar? Absolutely not. Some of the bullpen arms we saw today, and you know, with Phelps and Chatwood, those could be works in progress. Again, a couple of guys coming from injury and not such a great season. But when you compare yourself to the Yankees, you're comparing what we think is probably the best in the AL East. I think they're right with them in a lot of regards. It's funny because when I used to host the score in the NFL way back in the day, after week one, you'd call it overreaction Monday. And that's right. become a thing in the National Football League, overreaction Monday. I don't want to overreact to game one of 162. You can. It's opening <laughs> day. You're supposed to overreact. That's the fun of it. Or, or series one. Because I think when you look down what this could be for the Jays, you're still asking a lot of Stripling and Zoy. Look, did you hear the booing today <laughs> at Yankee Stadium? Did you hear the booing of Giancarlo Stanton? There's only 10,000 people there. I'm that guy who still thinks the Rays are going to win the American League East. I don't trust the Yankees pitching. Hmm. Um, they, they need a lot to go well for them with Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon. And I don't trust... Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge to stay healthy. So I, I understand why people are all in in the Yankees. People have always been all in in the Yankees. The Yankees haven't won a World Series for a while. Um, I, I'm, I'm just, put it this way, I'm prepared to be underwhelmed by the Yankees this year. Hmm. I really am. Uh, they were at 20% capacity today. I'm all in for the 20% capacity game. Stand wherever the hell and whenever the yeah. hell you want. That's awesome. I just love the booing. <laughs> uh, that, that, that made the highlight of the day for me. 10,000 Yankees fans booing. Sold wonderful. Out, sold out in Texas for their home opener with the yeah, Jays. We'll I don't know we'll about that We'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I said it a bunch of times. I got by with a little help from my friends. Thank you very much, Jeff Blair. Thank yeah, you, Joe Siddle, for sticking around. My pleasure, guys. Thank uh, you. Take care. Awesome. Uh, the Jays win 3-2 in 10, and they'll have the day off tomorrow back at it with Stripling on Saturday. Hockey coming up after the break. Did you hear Jack Campbell is 7-0-0 this season? Leaf fans a little bit excited. Meanwhile, Nathan McKinnon might be out of the running for the lady being this season. <laughs> Hockey talk next right here on Tim and Friends. Opening day. Thanks, Jeffy. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Thank you, Mark Strong. 
Thank you for joining us. Time to bring on our next guest who not only won a couple of cups in his time with the Los Angeles Kings, but he is a regular on Hockey Central and shares a bromance with Ken Reed. Ladies and gentlemen, I call him Futsi. I'm also wrong. It's Mike Futa. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well. Good. We hit a little bit of rough patch, me and Ken. By oh, the way. really? What yeah. happened? Yeah. Just, Did he try know, and brag about his trophy back there? Well. The, yesterday I heard those comments about Cole Armstrong and favorite analyst and you know he's been all oh, right stuff different in my ear so yeah you know, it's, it's early in the relationship so understood yeah i spent a little quality time with david amber and okay. jeff merrick over the next couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh are you much of a baseball fan did you catch oh, opening day pretty good almost game. got cut, stuck in traffic it was awesome yeah. it, and then hearing the, the excitement of the jays fans coming in on the radio they've got him pretty much cleaning it up but it was to come back against that pitcher I mean, and do it the way they did. It was fun to watch. I forgot. I didn't. I thought last year that when they start the extra innings with runner and second, yeah. I thought that was just a last year thing. Yeah, they kept but it, it going. was fun. It was yeah, really it was fun, fun to watch. watch. They're an exciting young team. They get, get some pitching, but geez, that's a deep lineup. I uh, I thought first, this is a stupid idea. This runner on second, like I get it. It's panda, and then I started watching it and understanding kind of the intricacies of how you approach that too. Oh. Do you bunt them over, look for a sack fly? Do you let guys sing away? I actually like it. I have come I have come to like it. So exciting. And it really challenges your pitching staff right out of the get-go. Yeah. And I was laughing because opening day, it's so much fun. And I remember I saw the clip of you throwing out the, the first pitch there with your with your boy and My stuff like guy. that. And it made me laugh about uh, uh, Tommy Lasorda. Because mm-hmm. your, 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 Tommy Lasorda dropped the puck at one of our games, oh, nice. and it's a classic because he went out, and you know normally you, like, he completely no-looked. It was Jack Johnson was captain the other team. Yeah. So he dropped it, shook Brownie's hand, turned his back, and <laughs> and just totally hey. stiffed him right at the de- – just left him at the altar. And you got interviewed after. He said, that's the opponent. Why would I shake the opponent's hand? <laughs> he he is L.A. to the oh, core. What are you talking about here? No, it was awesome. It was uh, awesome. They've got the McAuliffe uh, first pitch. Um, I had a bromance, too, with, uh, with Ace, but I don't know if – that's said, allowed. You said it was a little inside. I thought that was pretty impressive. No, I I, uh, I went to the pine tar on the arm. I don't know if you noticed. That was a, it was kind of a pine tar pineda here. I had the blackberry out, which is circa t- 2013. But uh, but uh, our guy uh, Anthony Stewart loves the blackberry. But I did go to the pine tar, and uh, I thought it was a right-handed batter, and I went inside. You know, just brushing back a little bit. I don't know. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, I'll take it. Listen, we have uh, we have some breaking news from the National Hockey League. As you walked in, I know Jesse went and grabbed some breaking news regarding uh, what the Canucks are now facing. Yeah. After getting three, two players and one coach in the COVID list. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially after a, a big Jays win, but it's the COVID stuff. Uh, the reports are out there now that Travis Hamonic joins teammate Adam Gaudet on the NHL's COVID protocol list. And as a result, the NHL has postponed the Canucks games through Tuesday, April 6th and targeting Thursday the 8th for the team to return to play. So that would mean that the Canucks will miss at least three games to their schedule. So so they got 19 great. left here, Mike. And this is interesting because the Montreal Canadiens obviously missed a week and they came back and had to play 25 games in what ended up being 42 days. Um 
the Canucks are in a spot where they've played more games than Montreal, obviously. Um, they're up to 37 on the year, but they're about to embark on a seven-game road trip, and the NHL had given themselves one week of leeway at the end of the year. So either we're getting pretty close to the situation where they've got to give more than a week or start thinking about points percentage. Yeah, no, it's 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 tough. I, I was talking with, uh, well, actually texting on the airplane because uh, Brad Treleving last night, They were their game was canceled last night. Right. And uh, he said it's just crazy. Uh, but, I mean, realistically, the way those standings are starting to sort themselves out in the North Division will be interesting because with the amount of games in hand that Montreal has on both Vancouver and Calgary, uh, will those games be necessary um, to, to make up if the point differential is, you know, not possible anyways for them to make the playoffs? Right. And that's what the Canucks were facing. And it was interesting when Montreal was idle, you're thinking, okay, well, here's a chance for either Vancouver or Calgary to make up some ground, and neither were able no. to really do it. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, in Calgary's situation, I mean, last time we were here, we were talking about, you know, Daryl was undefeated, and there were seemed like everybody was buying in, and then, yeah. you know, back to some of the old, just the old unforgivable habits, and uh, just not nearly enough desperation out of their top players, and uh and uh, it's nice to see at least, you know, Demko's got his game back to where he's rewarded with a nice $25 million yeah. contract for the, his efforts along the lines. But uh, those are two teams that had higher expectations, and it's going to be going to be some explanations going to be required for where they're at. Uh, were you surprised by the five years, $5 million? I uh, yeah, love the goalie. I just thought it was a little bit much uh, early. Um, he certainly earned it, and I know they're thinking down the road. But uh, paying a goaltender, the comparables that I was looking at, you know, with Tristan Jerry and uh, and Bennington and stuff like that, were a little a little lower. But uh, Jordan Newman did a good job. Did a good job. I mean, obviously he's been their MVP this year, and and now it's going to be even more, uh, you know, people watching as they have to sit down with yeah. Elias Peterson and uh, and Quinn Hughes. The, the pressure will will definitely heat up. So again, uh, target date for return for the Vancouver Canucks, and we hope everyone listen. Every time we have these conversations, the caveat to everything is we hope everyone is healthy and safe and that they get through this okay. As it pertains to the hockey side of things, uh, April 8th is the target date, which would be in the midst of a seven-game road trip. So the Thursday, April 8th is in Calgary. It was supposed to go Edmonton, two in Winnipeg, and two in Calgary. That would be the start of the two in Calgary. And we know that both those teams will be fighting for that last, last playoff spot um, with the Montreal Canadiens. All right, let's move on to some of the stuff that we saw last night in the NHL. And perhaps the most shocking thing was to see the Lady Bing Award winner from last year, Nathan McKinnon. Flat out goon. And for those who didn't see it, I want to I set up the situation, okay? Listen, it's not John Goodman in The Big Lebowski, but he did take the helmet off of Connor Garland, and after getting into it with him, he chucked it at Connor Garland. I know that my natural reaction of laughing is wrong, but... Is it really? Like, are we supposed to be outraged or are we allowed to laugh at this and know that this was the lady being award winner from last year? I, I, mean, I mean, I know you guys, I was listening to you guys talk about the, the, the world stopped on the, on the Connor McDavid album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I, and I obviously saw the reader's response to that and how glorious this, I mean, this guy is a classy individual. Garland plays the game, gets under people's skin. 
I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit, though. You know, sometimes you see in the movie where the guy throws it up in the air to get the guy's attention up, and then you go attack him. Like, he chucked it right in the... <laughs> he put it right in the lid there. So it was it was unique. I mean, what do you get? It was, it was fine, right? Yeah, $5,000 fine. Oh, well. McDavid and McKinnon, good company. <laughs> you got your two... You got arguably two of the best players in the game. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, we can get Matthews to just maybe whatever. <laughs> Lose it for <laughs> a second. Give a guy a noogie tonight. Maybe just crank up another five grand for him. Get all the big boys. You got these guys running guys from behind and you know having people getting stretchered off the ice and getting that a one game or one game suspension and now you've got uh it's it's part of the COVID, i guess maybe nathan was just a little frustrated but garland is one pain in the butt to play against he is and it's almost as if when when he engaged after he hit him in the face there was almost like a i'm sorry in the engagement like he just kind of put his hands out and said um do we need to protect the stars a little more is this a conversation that we need to have? Well, I, I was on the... We were doing it, and Versteeg just went off on it, uh, yeah. Chris. And, and he was he was right. I mean, and he wasn't, no offense, he was a great player, but he wasn't a star player. So when right. you see someone that was a real workhorse, see that, and yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you see the stuff that these guys go through, and obviously... You know, I mean, even the other night. But it, yeah, there's one thing to have a good hit, a good clean hit. Like I liked the cash-in hit on Tavares. Uh, I know yep. everybody wanted this instant response to it. But these star players, this McDavid plays the game hard. He's taking sticks in the face, cross checks in the face, and and the league has got to just call it down the line. I mean, you know, you got to call it. And if it's called correctly, you know, then these guys get to go on the power play, and you think twice about laying the lumber on the stars in the league. But if right. they let it go and let it slide. Then it leads to other instances that are, I think, are totally unnecessary. Yeah, and I think if you don't call it, then you end up with the teams having to do something to protect their players. Yeah, and then it gets back to the game. That, I mean, I know, I know. Again, I'm talking about Reader and I. Oh, the bromance is alive. Don't have your, refer- your reference <laughs> well, to like we three this, times. We've had this debate. <laughs> well, and this actually was before the Kobe Armstrong thing, so it was there right. were issues. But he literally, he's. It, we talked about that whole instance, like the clean check doesn't have to be followed by the fight all the time. Right. But if you allow your guys to get taken advantage of, eventually it's going to come back to that. Where the Zach Cashins of the world are going to have to, you know, step up to the plate and stuff like that. And I mean, they said that, you know, they brought Wayne Simmons back for his toughness and stuff like that. And he's taking heat. I mean, he's coming back from a wrist injury. Yeah. The last thing you need to do is be fight. He's probably got tape on his hand, which is already, uh, that's illegal anyways, to be fighting Can't with tape in your hand. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much pressure on these guys to respond and really if the you know and i i think the obviously the best refs in the world but if they can if they can make the proper call initially uh you know and it comes down that you're going to get burned on the power play with these skilled players then teams are going to be thinking twice about taking advantage of the stars yeah or thinking twice about putting one of the guys that they wouldn't put in the lineup yeah. to do the job like, that's unfair to ask simmons to do that coming off of a wrist well, but, injury but you see now you see now tim that you're hearing like when you hear about like Berkey and Pittsburgh and stuff, yeah. when they were there was that stretch where Sid was getting taken advantage of, so you know they they're on the market for a tough guy, and mm-hmm. and there's only so much surplus of your Tom Wilsons and and Josh yeah, Andersons that, that unicorn, can yeah. play the game and actually have that skill set yeah. uh, that's unique. So you, you know you don't want to have to start dressing somebody that's only going to be playing four or five minutes just to kind of keep the getting back to that stage. Yeah, I might think about it. I'll tell you that. I honestly, <laughs> no, and I'm not honestly, that guy, no, no. but I'm, I'm starting no, to think I agree that with you. there I agree are a couple teams that might need to do it. Like, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll follow it. We'll follow it. All right. Can you stick around? Absolutely. All right. We're going to fire up the smoke machine next because we got some rumors and speculation and we'll play smoke or fire with our guy Futsi, which is why I'm not the bromance. Cause I call him that Mike Futa, Tim and friends continues.
All right, time for smoke or fire. I present a rumor that is making the rounds, and Futsi will tell me if it's just smoke or if there's a little bit yeah, of sorry. fire behind sorry, it. Sorry, yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Just breaking, uh, it's me. Fire. Yeah. Fire. Fire, yeah. There's fire right now. I love it. I love it. Uh, our own Elliot Friedman doubts that Habs GM Mark Bergevin is done after acquiring Eric Stahl last week. We may see forward Arturi Lekkinen go to clear up some cap space. He also dropped for the Oilers could be looking at Ken Holland's old Red Wings forward, Luke Glendening. Smoke or fire, the Habs and Oilers continue to add ahead of the deadline. Fire, uh, particularly Ooh. Montreal. Particularly Montreal. Jesse, you call me Fugee. <laughs> <laughs> He's allowed to do it. <laughs> I'm coming over the desk. Okay, okay that's the last time. Right, you know, open protocols. Time. Open protocols. <laughs> Mike, you can't go over there. No worries. Time. Yeah, fire. Uh, Edmonton's a tougher one. Uh, obviously, money in, money out. But I think both those teams, I mean, they're starting to see Again, with Toronto starting to come come on strong again, that it's I think both teams are going to add, particularly Montreal. Does Bergevin feel pressure? I I think so. Anytime you, uh, I think it's a little bit the same as Calgary because there was one of few teams that actually added a lot of salary. Right. So just from an ownership standpoint, and he's done a great job. But when you add that kind of salary, your owners expect results. Well, it feels like he's impatient, and he's been there for nine years, right? Yeah. Like it's it just. It seems like this year, someone said to him, let's go. Like, yeah. No, we are all in it. I mean, especially the way they started. So right. I think in the, I certainly like the way they came out of the break or their COVID break there the other night. They looked outstanding in the first period there. All right, keep her going. Jeff. Shaking in my boots yeah. over here. Uh, Kyle Palmieri's name always feels like it's uh, been in the rumor mill. The Devils forward usually flies under the radar, putting up five straight seasons of at least 24 goals this time around. The Athletic believes Palmieri is exactly what the Bruins need to add to their secondary scoring, and New York Post Larry Brooks agrees. But Brooks thinks unless it's a haul, the Devils won't budge, and they eventually have to get out of this constant cycle of rebuilding. Smoke or fire, Kyle Palmieri does get moved. Fire. I think it's the same thing. Uh, you've got a, an asset who's going to be making a lot of money. Um, he's a guy that's a playoff-worn player. He's a guy that can play that hard, score goals, play hard. I do believe he'll be moved. Just seems like some of those teams that perennially are rebuilding never get out of it. Well, yeah. it's the same thing. Like, I mean, I hate to see, but we talk about Vancouver. I mean, you bring in a guy like a Tanner Pearson, unfortunately, he's hurt. But when you bring in these guys who really enjoy being there and you're trying to turn the corner with some quality veterans that have a Stanley Cup ring and then you move them out, it's a, it's a cycle you got to get yourself out of. Yeah. Keep Winnipeg going. Jets would love to land a defenseman and they could turn to the Coyotes to make something worth the athletic. Suggested that Arizona's Alex Goligoski could be had at a Reasonable price. He's not putting up crazy numbers these days, but he's still a 20-plus minute defender. Smoke or fire, Goligoski is exactly what the Jets need, and they make a move to bring him in. Uh, it's it's fire on the defensive stamp, standpoint. I, like 100% they're going to add a defenseman before the deadline. I think uh, the Nashville success has kind of changed everybody because everybody was all in on Ekholm and uh, Ryan Ellis was being discussed. I personally think Nashville should still be selling, but I think they're going to play it a little closer to the date mm. and see if they can stay on this little run they're on. But Winnipeg's going to add a defenseman. If, fire. if that's the case, then Goligoski is going to be very valuable. Oh, especially with these other teams. For example, like Columbus got hot, so now Savard's off the list. And these right. teams, mm-hmm. so you've got all these teams that are, you know, whether it's whether it's the real deal that they're hot or not, they're. You know they're sitting there saying, "Hey, we're right back in it." So, but a player like Goligowski is going to become that much more valuable because right now uh, Arizona's on the outside looking in. Speaking Wait. of Columbus, yeah, mention Columbus. The Patrick Line ideal, of course, hasn't been pretty for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Seven goals in 
27 games isn't what GM Jarmo Kekalainen was hoping for when he acquired the fellow Finn. Tim Campbell answered a mailbag question on NHL.com about the possibility of Laine getting dealt again. Campbell doubted the Jackets would give up on him so easily, though. While Larry Brooks believes Kekalainen owes it to Nick Foligno to move him, if the team can't come to terms with its captain, he sees the Islanders as a solid fit there. Kekalainen isn't afraid of making big moves, so smoke or fire, Kekalainen takes another big swing. Uh, I could see... I. <laughs> Nick Foligno kind of has defined the leadership role there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's such a quality person. The whole family is just outstanding. Yeah. I think you owe it to him to have that kind of conversation. Like they said, if you're going to, they're never going to move Crosby, but the talk was if you were ever going to move someone like that, you give them the benefit of the doubt and talk to them. Nick Foligno, I believe, is that player in Columbus that deserves that chance to win a Stanley Cup, especially as a UFA. And uh, I can't see Line being moved. I mean, Tart's kind of knocked the crap out of his confidence right out of the gate. I mean, Kekalainen has a long history with his Finnish background. The kid's going to score goals. He's just got to get settled in, find chemistry with the centerman. No on Line yes on Foligno. Uh, they're going to move it. the head coach before they move Patrick Liney. Uh I believe somebody's going to come in and get another chance to motivate Patrick Liney as soon yeah. as the season's over. Uh, Mike Futa. Futes. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll never be saying that it's again. It's always a pleasure, Tim. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Tim. Jesse, Jesse Thank you. It's Thank you, always Mike. a pleasure. I'm going to spend Mike. my entire time coming up with a nickname for you. <laughs> Can't downtime. wait. <laughs> All right, Rubesy. Thank you very much, buddy. <laughs> Sportsnet is heading to Hockey Central. I will continue on Sportsnet 360 with Kenny the Jet Smith as we discuss the Raptors' continuing struggles and if, if this is indeed the end of an era in Toronto. Is the championship window closed? Back in 60 seconds on 360. Everyone else, enjoy Hockey Central. Thanks, Kuda. Thanks, bud. Opening day, Jays win 3-2, and we're talking basketball here on Tim and Friends. Uh, We will get to more baseball in last call, but for those of you who were with me yesterday, I was struck by how honest, raw, and surprised Norm Powell was with his column in the Players' Tribune, and I wasn't alone. There was an outpouring of support for Norm on social media. Even our post on Instagram had uh, 250 or so comments, much of it centered around the end of an era in Toronto, which for the moment, caught me by surprise till I thought about it. The eight-man rotation that we saw make a run to the Larry OB. I mean, game six, think of who played. Kawhi Leonard, gone. Mark Gasol, gone. Danny Green, gone. Serge Ibaka, gone. Now Norm, love, peace, and soul. Less than two years later, Raptor fans are reeling, many wondering just what in the good name of Carlos Delfino happened here. And to be frank, we're just him. There are a lot of answers. Free agency, restricted free agency, Tampa, COVID, father time. And here we are. The Raptors finish the month of March 1-13 and find themselves on the outside of a 10-team playoff. Here to help us make some sense of it all is one of the very best analysts in the game. Hell, in all games, ladies and gentlemen, a young man who went to 100, went 115 and 22 in his time at UNC, a consensus All-American, and he's listening to all of this right now over my shoulder, a consensus All-North American on this show. Please welcome back Kenny the Jet Smith. Kenny, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing, man? 115 and 22, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I didn't realize that I played with some good players that that makes that. But um, I'm in Indianapolis. Uh, quarantine, 
it it's I'm gonna be honest with you right now, Kenny. It it sounds like you're talking braille. I have no idea what the hell is going on with the audio right now. I'm I'm being told we're gonna have to call you back. But literally, it's no. It sounds like not not even gargled. It sounds awful. Like it's just it sounds like a prolonged fart. We'll take <laughs> we will call you back in two seconds because I have no idea. I've never heard anything like this before. All right, let's call him back because that that ain't working. Whatever the hell that was. I literally <laughs> thought that my IFB had gone crazy. Yeah. The, the IFB is the so thing I'm wearing my ear. Same thing. So I can hear people uh, when we talk to them. <laughs> I thought that something had gone horribly wrong. <laughs> so and what had. are we going to do here? And I had. So we'll try and reconnect uh, with the one Kenny Smith. But did you feel the same thing from the Norm column on the Players' Tribune that there was a lot of Raptor fans that – just had it marinate for a couple days after the deadline that the end of an era was upon us and the end of the championship window was over? 100%. Because he put himself in that core, in what he was writing. He said, it's me, Fred, Pascal. He named all the guys and he said, you know, just remember Norm. You know, Norm worked hard. And that that was what really got me. He was a part of that core. And I think fans, once they actually saw it in that article... They, they realize. All right, let's see if it sounds better than the fart that we heard before. Uh, <laughs> Kenny the Jet Smith, how are you? No, I'm doing good. I'm on the <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, uh, I'm in quarantine, man. That's what I was saying. I was like, one, I was like sitting in here. I'm not, you know, normally I have my background and all. I'll let you go. No, this is a, a quarantine room. This feels like I'm in quarantine. Right. Uh, understood. Let me ask, because I had a friend in ball, a guy who I trust, whose, whose voice I trust, and he said, it's sad that the Raptors' window has closed. Mm. And I want you to be real with Raptor fans. Did the championship window close when Kawhi Leonard walked out the door? No, it didn't close when he left. He left because, you know, obviously, you know, last year, you guys had a good, you know, a pretty productive season um, in Toronto. There was a pretty, I think, being in Tampa, yeah, is it like I, I couldn't imagine being away from home for two straight years? I, it's just unfathomable to be have the energy to have the routine. NBA players are creatures of habit. I think the energy got sucked out of the franchise having to be in Tampa this year. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you as as a GM how you. Um, evaluate what you have when you're dealing with not only being in Tampa, but getting hit with COVID and having you know your assistant coaches, your head coach out, three main players out. Like, how do you evaluate this season and understand where you are in the big picture? Well, you you you. It's very difficult, you know. But if if anyone can do it, Masai has. He's put together a championship team, obviously already. Um, he put together guys that know what they're doing. Um, but the biggest thing that's going to happen there is, you know, who is who is going to be injected into the lineup by via trade and or free agency and or um, draft in the offseason that can infuse excitement once you return home. Like, to have the fans, other than the fact that the first three games where they go, well, we haven't had basketball, so everyone's going to show up. 
and saying, no, what, who's going to make us excited to really be here? Uh, the celebratory champagne might be on ice for a little longer than you think, but there are still some pieces that, that could make things happen. Okay, so the, the pieces are interesting, and obviously Masai and Bobby Webster have invested in those pieces, but there's a segment of the Raptors fan base right now that is thinking, not only is Kawhi, I <laughs> Freudian slip, not only is Kyle a free agent at the end of the year, but Masai is also a free agent at the end of the year. If you were, say, a fan of the Raptors or even in management, would that scare you that both could walk? Well, I, I think first of all, you got to get over your Kawhi envy and, um, <laughs> hey, and stop hey, saying his name. He, hey, he could opt out. Shut up, Kenny. <laughs> stop saying his name. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would be. I would. I wouldn't be um, scared because you. 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 Obviously, he put himself in this position knowing that he could be there. Um, he had opportunities to trade Kyle Lowry. You know, probably. So he put himself in the position that he's in now. So he was foreseeing it and foreshadowing it. So I don't think that he's uh, Messiah's nervous about it. I'm sure that he has a plan based on the fact that I'm going to put myself in this position. So if it was me, I would have known just like him. I would have said, no, I'm going to do this knowing I'm going to do X, Y, and Z next. So I would never have been in fear because I would have planned to be like this. Right, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Without question, without Um, question. Norm and his Players Tribune column gave us a real good look behind the curtain of what it's like to be traded. Um, How despite the rumors and speculation, he it still kind of came as a shock to him and how he see, saw himself as a part of the core, you know, growing up with Fred, Pascal, and OG. He saw himself as as a part of the next great Raptors team. You were traded twice earlier in your career. I don't think we see behind that curtain enough. How, how tough is it? Well, it's dependent on what team you're on. One team I was happy to get traded from <laughs> in Sacramento because, I, you know, I come from the University of North Carolina where it's a long lineage of excellence. And, you know, and when I got to that Sacramento King team, there was no excellence in the front office, no excellence, you know, in the coaching because it was unstable. You know, he'd been Bill Russell in. I'm super excited. And then three, four months later, he's fired. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I wasn't accustomed to that. Right. Um, I found out, this is before, like, you know, guys finding out now on Twitter and, and on Instagram. I found out uh, a, a news reporter called me. And he's like, hey, you're going to get traded. Uh, you just got traded to Atlanta. And as he's saying it, and he's asking me my thoughts, my phone call waiting clicks. And I said, hold on. And then on the other end, it was the actual Kings management saying, hey, Kenny, <laughs> We just traded two. I was like, yeah, I found out because I'm on the other line with the reporter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I was like, yeah, all right. I was like, so, and and my, my only question is, they said, so then three seconds, like literally 30 seconds later, the Atlanta Hawks call. Right. Say, hey, we're excited. We got traded for you. I said, I just have one question. When do How many hours do I get to report? They said, 48. You get 48 hours to report, get your stuff in order. I said, no, I'm, I'm leaving tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm on the next plane. I leave my cousin lives with me. He'll get all this stuff in order. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. And then even the trade from Atlanta was a blessing in disguise, right? Oh, the blue. Well, from what I heard now that I, you know, out of the league, it was actually I was supposed to stop in Atlanta, and Atlanta was supposed to trade me to Houston. Right. 
and they kept me something. I want, I, I came in second in a dunk contest or something. And so they kept me <laughs> and they didn't trade. And so they were like, this guy's popular. So they, we'd have the Bud Webb, Dominique right. and Kenny on the same team, three guys who were, you know, first, second in the dunk contest. And so they kept me, but I was really, I was supposed to go to Houston. And then that summer, went on and I was in Houston. All right, one more um, that I think you have an interesting outlook on. Did you catch the Stephen A. Smith back and forth with Russell Westbrook? Like, I thought it was real interesting for folks in our business. Stephen A. saying that the numbers meant nothing. Russ firing back, saying people on TV basically have too much power and what they say... mean nothing? The numbers that he's putting up mean nothing to his legacy because he needs to win. What? He has one. Like, there's only a one championship. championship. Yeah. There's only one champion. So, if, if, if like, I'm at the Final Four. So, you're telling me if, if Gonzaga doesn't win the championship this year, that Mark Few's not a great coach because he's never won a championship? Like, that's that's absurd. Like, I, I love Steven, but that's absurd. You know, Russell Westbrook is a champion. He's been the MVP of the league. His ability to create things that no one else has done in the history of the game in the history of the game, he's doing, even now, on a team that it's not his fault that you couldn't name the other four starters right now on that team. That's not his fault when Bradley Bill's not there. Right. Like, like, it's not his fault. Like, I, that, no, I, I disagree totally. I think Russell Westbrook is a, a generational player, that they don't come around every, like, 10 years. A guy like him comes into the league and then they, we, we don't see another guy like him. He is the consummate person at that position. Right. The, the guy people measure. So I disagree totally. So maybe if he says I, maybe now he'll think we that, that the power matters because I agree with him. I think he, <laughs> he is he is the guy. Like he puts fear in every single point guard. Right. And, and when I say fear, guys are guys have delusion of grandeur themselves. So they'll never admit that they have fear. But they will say, I get my sleep the night before I play Russell. I'm not going out. I don't have a a, a, a party with a flyer on my name <laughs> the night before I play Russell Westbrook. I, I'll bet you that. Right. So, no, that guy, is, he's it. Like, yeah. those numbers matter because they're historical. They're not. He's not getting 20 and 8. He's yeah. getting historical numbers. 35, 21, and 14. <laughs> he's yeah. historical yeah. And as a, you could be on a bad, we know, I know as a player, you could be on a bad team and get stats. You can't get those stats. Right. You can't get those. Right. No. Uh, and I just thought the perspective of where what he determines his legacy is and what oftentimes we determine a person's legacy is in sports are completely different. No, and he's I, a winner. He's yeah. a winner. He's been in the NBA championships. He's been the MVP. Like Charles Barkley, I hate to say it, He's a winner, though. <laughs> right. He's a winner. Like, he, he is a winner. Him. He's been the MVP of the league. He's been in the finals. He's carried franchises on his back. Like, yeah. name name three other guys who's getting those stats. Or no one's getting those no stats. One. But close to those stats, that's, that's done that. No one. Uh, Kenny, uh, we appreciate you doing this, and we're glad that you no longer sound like you st- sounded off the top of this. <laughs> All right, there it is. I, I won't describe it again. Be well, man. Enjoy the final four. All right. There is uh, Kenny the Jet Smith in Indianapolis.
for the Final Four. It's always tough to say in Indianapolis. All right, Jesse Rubinoff, been smooth since the days of Underoos. He'll help me close it out with last call. Bianca's on a roll in Miami. And which athlete pulled the best April Fool's Day prank? Last call is next. On Tim and Friends, we're going to talk some more Jays, by the way. Jays opening day in the Bronx, what a game it was. Hyunjin Ryu versus Garrett Cole, and the Jays got to Cole in the second. Three consecutive hits to open up the top of the second, and the Jays led 1-0. That's all they got, though. Bottom of the second, man on for Gary Sanchez. Love, peace, and hair grease. A two-run bomb. Yankees on top, 2-1. We move to the top of the six Jays. Finally respond, Teoscar Hernandez, 99 problems, but this pitch ain't one. Another deep blast off Garrett Cole, and we are tied at two. We go to the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees had two on, one out, a man on third, and DJ LeMayhew at the plate, but they induce the ground ball. Biggio goes home, gets the pinch runner, so we go to extras. And for the second straight season, we start with a man on second. That was Jonathan Davis. This is Randall Grichuk. He goes off the wall. And Julian Merriweather made the one run stand up. Jays in a barn burner, 3-2. Charlie Montoyo's 100th career win. Twins and Brewers from Milwaukee. First batter of the game, Lewis Arise. And you know who Arise? Luis Urias. Arise, Urias. Arise, Urias. Got it good and since you understood. Next batter was Josh Donaldson. Lines went to the gap. And check this out. As he rounds first, pulls up, would leave the game before getting a chance to play defense. Wasn't decided till late. Top seven, Twins lead 3-2. Byron Buxton. That is deep too. 5-2 Twins. But guess what? The Brewers came back from 5-2 down to win it 6-5 in 10. In Detroit, there was some weather. And by weather, I mean snow. (laughs) Temperatures hovering at zero. No problem for Miguel Cabrera. Can you see this go? I can't tell which one's the ball, but it did go. Bottom of the first, other way. 488th career home run. He had no idea it went. And this pitcher is unbelievable. With the snow falling, A.J. Hinch wins his Tigers managerial debut. 3-2 the final. And what a great pitcher. By the way, almost the phantom cam. Check it out on our Twitter account, at Tim and Friends. You'll be able to see how that looked off of the bat of Miguel Cabrera for number 488 on Mm. his career. Uh, Jesse Rubinoff, you can hear him responding because he's here for last call. We just showed you the Tigers beating Cleveland today. And during the postgame show on Bally Sports Ohio, host Bruce Drennan did not appreciate this caller's criticism of Fran Mill Reyes. Why don't we have a listen? What? <laughs> you can just simply pitch around Ramirez, keep walking him, don't give him anything to hit. The next guy... The good pitches down the middle, he won't swing at, but the ball's down around his ankles. He hits the shortstop into a double play. This has been going on for two years. 
Right. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not gonna, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you idiot. are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather that proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show. Fair weather idiot. All right, we're going to move on here. Well, it wasn't, wasn't really fair weather. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Not at all. It was snowing. It was snowing. Uh, we heard the word ignoramus. Yeah, we did. Was that an appropriate use of ignoramus is the question for you. Yeah, I believe it was. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about Fran Mill Reyes and his clutch hitting numbers. He's a decent hitter, though. Yeah. Like, he was on base like 350 last year. And you're saying that he's the guy that you can just basically pitch around to get to? It's absolutely an overreaction after one game. And he's right in the snow, but well, he did it's an aggressive snow. reaction. It's an aggressive reaction. It's really aggressive. The caller wasn't saying that. They were saying that he's seen that before. Yeah. He wasn't suggesting that it was just the one game. He said he'd seen that so before. So Drennan went there. Yeah. I just don't know if Drennan, I don't watch it very often. I'm sorry. But I don't know if Drennan often goes there. Yeah. Sounds like he might. I, I might have to tune into the next post-game show that Cleveland does, because that was awesome. Uh, why don't we move on to tennis? Is that good or bad? I think it gets traction. Yeah. Bianca Andreescu is through to the semifinals at the Miami Open after another tough three-set win last night. Tonight, Bianca will take on Maria Sakari of Greece for a spot in Saturday's final. Sakari needed just over an hour to beat the two-seed Naomi Osaka last night. This is just the third event Bianca has played since 2019. So how impressive is this run by Bianca? All right, let's just simply talk about what Bianca has done mm. when she's healthy. She has lost one match in her last five 1,000 series events and withdrew with injury on a bunch of other ones, right? So she won at Indian Wells. She withdrew from Miami in 2019 after reaching a round of 16. Yep. She won the 2019 Rogers Cup and then lost in the quarterfinals of the 2019 China Open to Naomi Osaka, who's pretty good. If she wins this weekend, she'll have three tournament wins in her last five 1,000 series events. When Bianca Andreescu is healthy, she is maybe the best, if not probably top three in the world. The only problem is she has to stay healthy, but she's real deal. That U.S. Open run was just captivating. Like, just amazing. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, I don't think, listen, we've had a lot of people in this studio before. Yeah. We have never had the reaction of everybody in the building coming down here to see yeah. Bianca Andreescu. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Call Sid right now, ask him. Wow. He had never seen anything like that. Every boss in this place, every big wig in this place yeah. was down here waiting to get a glimpse of Bianca Andreescu. Amazing. Uh, of course, it's April Fool's Day and several athletes getting in on the practical jokes, or at least trying to. Tom Brady posted this picture on Twitter today, writing with opening day today. Excited to announce we're bringing the Expos back to the Major League Baseball in 2022. Excited to be the first player coach owner in MLB history. I don't know. I think that one kind of fell a little bit flat. But uh, 49ers tight end George Kittle posted a picture of himself in a Jaguars uniform with the caption, next chapter, thanks to the faithful for all the support. A little bit better than Brady, in my opinion. And two days after Michael Strahan 
posted a video showing him having the famous gap in his teeth fixed. He revealed today it was an elaborate ruse. Oh, I look pretty good. That's that's not bad. Woof, sharp. So I just wanted to say, um, April Fools. Come on, man. The gap is here to stay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but which athlete wins April Fool's Day? I thought the Kittle is mean to his fans. Yeah. Uh, if you fall for it. Um, I also think uh, Michael Strahan clear above the winner. And I also think um, read the year. Like, I know you got it good, Tom Brady. <laughs> but you do a lot of things really, really well. April Fool's is not one of them. <laughs> yeah, Everyone absolutely. needs to read the rear, year. Yeah. Or the rear. Tough look know. for Tom, but he's a champ, so whatever. Seven times. Yeah, not, not at April Fool's. All right, <laughs> thanks for watching this opening day edition of Tim and Friends. We're back tomorrow to wrap up the week. Uh, Megan Cheka and Stephen Brunt will join me for Jesse Rubinoff, Mike Feudin, Jeff Blair, Joe Siddle. I'm Tim McCall. Talk to you tomorrow.